Yes, good morning on Sky Sports Radio. It's at that time of the week again where we get to find out a little bit about the story behind a name. And I thought with all the Kosciuszko chat going on at the moment and he had an outstanding season last season here in New South Wales being the leading country trainer, I thought it was a great opportunity to head up to the Upper Hunter and chat with Scone trainer Rod Northam because he has got a story and a half. Rod, welcome to Monday's Experts. Yeah, hi Dave, how are you going? Very good, mate. Uh, you're on the on the road today. You're heading up to Tamworth with a, with a couple of uh, chances. Uh, a couple of chances, yeah, yeah. A couple of each way chances. Um, always hard to win a race, but we'll see how we go. Let's talk about uh, your journey, mate. And thanks for spending the next thirty odd minutes with us. I'm looking forward to this. I want to know uh, where it all began. Where did you grow up? Let's like you say the the punt and, and spending time with your, your dad etc on those Saturdays. What what was it about it with the game? Was it just the excitement of it of trying to pick a winner? Was it uh, that you know you had control in terms of your own thoughts about you know um, what form you were doing? What was it at that early young age? I mean you're probably too young to be doing, or you mightn't have been too young to doing form at seven. But you were. Was it more because your dad was so into it that you were just absorbing everything he was doing? Okay, so we're seven, we're punting, uh, we're having, you know, we're, we're learning about the racing <laughs> racing game. Um, you mentioned then about, uh, you know, you, you never sat on a horse until you were 12. You're obviously at school at this time. Um, was it was it racing 100% for you or did you want to go and become something else? What did you dream about being when you were a kid? Um, well, basically, yeah, I, um, I sort of fell in love with a Tommy Woodcock story around reckless. I did help dad when I was younger. He used to wean the trot. 
And and at the time when you were talking about, you know, obviously that's what you dreamed of being. Did you have conversations uh, with the old man, with family, sort of saying this is what I want to do? And was there any hesitation on their behalf? No, nah, no. Nah. Tell us about that because you spent a lot of time, I think 18 years, uh, you spent uh, with Marcus Oldham. So how did that opportunity come about? That would make sense. How, how, that would make sense, wouldn't it? I'm thinking 18 years. So you went there when you were, <laughs> there when you were 18. How good are my notes going here? Well, I've written down these notes. But so you 18. T- how did the opportunity though that Marcus come about? Was that through school or was that through a family connection or? And then at 19, you go to Lindsay Park? Yeah, so, yeah, I went to Lindsay Park after I finished uh, Marcus Oldham, which was great. It's um, a massive eye-opener. I've never, never coming from a, a small farm in Singleton. And I had worked a little bit on some stud farms, but I've never seen a training complex like that. Um, it was a total eye-opener. We had sort of been loosened up. Um, it was there at the time. And, and just just on the on the Lindsay Park experience, I mean that because obviously um, was that big for you too to to move right away from the Hunter, like to just be you know jumping up and going down to Angston.
moving to South Australia was, wasn't a problem. I knew I was going to the best place in the country. So, um, you know, I was, was very excited to move down there. What was it like to work um, for, for, the, for that Hayes uh, dynasty? I mean, no doubt, you hear a lot when I've done these interviews before, say, for example, when I spoke with, you know, with... Um, uh, Joe Cleary, um, and even, you know, like Noel Keller last week, that old school approach, you probably couldn't do it um, today. Um, but but that sort of, you know, that, that hard and, hard and uh, fast learning on the job um, and no, no room for error. Otherwise, I'm tipping you would have got a spray. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that was, it, was, um, it was a really good place to work. It was very well organised. Um, you only rode your, your four horses. Then going through your your history and timeline, you you then went to England and you're a jumps trainer. What made you do that, Rod? What made you just jump on the plane and, and go? I mean, obviously, um, we hear about, you know, that when you're that age, and I was the same, um, you just want to jump on the plane and travel because we are so far away, and you, you dream about, you know, um, spending some time in, in Europe, and in this case, in, in Ireland, or in, slash England, but you obviously, you would have had a good a good Guernsey there at Lindsay Park. Um, was there any particular reason you just wanted to get away? Oh, I suppose that the whole Lindsay Park thing and the, the market well, I, I've been around people from, from overseas, from, from Europe, um, lots of Irish and English guys working in the park. So when I jumped on a plane, I knew people over there. Um, yeah. But I didn't have anything lined up. Um, I, I suppose back then the technology was probably a bit easier with the internet and things to organise jobs. I, I basically just um, went over there, um, stayed with a friend for a while, got a race in Post magazine, looked up for a position vacant, and <laughs> rang up and got a job. Um, What were the big the big differences um, from your time? And, and, and admittedly, you hadn't been training in your own right at this point. But from what you were learning at Lindsay Park or seeing at Lindsay Park to, to what you saw over there in Europe, what were the, the fundamental differences in your mind? Quiet, placid horses, but they spent 
weren't allowed to sort of have that free time and be horses like like the Australian horses do a bit more. Well, like they did at Lindsay Park, that's for sure. Mm. Um, but, but grooming wasn't a thing. You didn't need to groom the horses. They look good. If they look good, they look good. <laughs> you didn't need to brush them. But over there, they were, had a fascination of making sure that there wasn't a speck of dust on them and um, spent 45 minutes brushing them down. And it just annoyed the horses more than anything else. But um, yeah, that was a, that was one thing I noticed sort of straight away. When you uh, so you, you've you've done that for six months, did you come back straight away? Or did you spend some time in Europe and? You know, as most twenty-one-year-olds uh, do, have a bit of a party, and then did you decide to come back? No, well, actually, two of my older sisters flew over. We spent a month travelling around England and Ireland there for a while, so that was a bit of fun. And um, now, actually, I got a phone call from the car to come back and do the yearling. So I, um, I went back and did the uh, Easter yearling preparation um, from, from them, and then, um, and then after I got back from the yearling sales, so I took over. All the breaking in, and sort of pre-training and spelling, um, which is quite a big operation. And we used to break in about 200 a year. Um, and we'd have sort of 80 horses in pre-training at any one time. So it's quite a decent operation. Um, so, yeah, so I had a little bit of fun in, in Europe. When I think back on it, I wish I had, I stayed there and, and had a little bit more fun. I didn't really travel Europe much. It was more sort of England and Ireland. Yeah. So that opportunity to go back to, to Lindsay Park, I mean, with the, the name in which they had in the game, I mean, to go back there, that must have been a real feather in your cap that you'd done something right and then they, you know, sought you to, to try and come back. Yeah, well, no, it, it was, um, no, it was very, um, uh, can't think of the word, um, but money to play anyway. Um, and, and I, I really, um, I really got along with the boss, Colin Hay. I always had a really good relationship with him um, through the healing sales. And, um, we, seemed to, we seemed to hit it off quite well. Um, so, yeah, he, he, I actually ran, him, ran into him at the races when I was in England. Um, we were at the races at Kempton and Jern was racing. And uh, as a three-year-old, and he won the bonus sprint stakes. And I was went to have a look at him after the race, walking away back to the stalls. Great head off, but I got him on road. And it was, it was the boss, Colin Hayes. Um, he turned around, I looked at him, he looked at me and went, What are you doing here? Um, so, yeah, so it wasn't long after that I got the phone call to go back. But, um, yeah, no, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was really good to, to go back there. And, and then the, the pair of us had a, uh, uh, we, we reunited with Jern about three or four years later. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. Isn't it amazing? And, you know, um, before how connected we are with social media and, you know, you put a photo up and everyone knows where you are, um, just to hear these stories of, you know, interactions back then where, you know, it, you don't know uh, who you're going to meet or who's around the corner. It's just one of those things, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's crazy. The amount of time uh, when I was in Europe, I was running to people on a racetrack in Ireland or um, even when I was in Dubai, I, I ran into the person that I've worked with. It's such a... It's such a small world, the horse industry. It's very rare that you go to a racetrack somewhere and you don't know somebody that um, know somebody from somewhere. So you come back uh, to Australia. You do a lot of work in the the pre training and, and and breaking in. What was it about breaking in that you were so good at? Do you believe? Uh, I think it probably comes from my dad a bit as well. Um, it's just um, I, I sort of grew up on that trotting place and, and a dairy farm. We moved there later on. Just general. Stock sense, just, just you know, no 
how to be around animals. You can sort of pick people straight away if they've grown up on a farm or if they've grown up in the city. Um, yeah, it was always that always sort of put into me that if you treat 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 the animals the way you want to be treated, don't um, you don't abuse them and you be kind. It's very rarely that they respond to it. They don't. They, they always respond to it. Not a, it's not an animal that doesn't respond to kindness. So. Um, you know, just try and work work them out, and, and I just love the challenge of a horse. It's a little bit difficult. Try and get inside their head, figure out how to um, how them come, how to get them to come around your way. Yeah, that's very interesting. So, you after uh, Lindsay Park, and obviously the time you spent there on your second stint, you did some stud work. I just went off, um, yeah, for six months. I worked at Barrymore Stud Farm for six months. Um, did a bit of pre-training and a little bit of breaking in there and then and then went to a, a new stud farm called Mabel Park at the time. It was just starting up and I was just sort of building it. So I did a lot of tractor work there and building fences and I really enjoyed it actually. I needed a bit of a break at that stage away from, from the horses and um, quite like driving the tractor around and picking up rocks <laughs> and, and doing that sort of wasn't very, compared to breaking in horses, it wasn't very mentally challenging. So it was um, a good little freshen up. So you do that, and then you move to Scone, or when did you? When did you? Um, yeah. When did you first start training? Was that Musselbrook, wasn't it? Yeah, I actually took the boxes at Musselbrook for about twelve months. Um, I only had one horse there, and it was a little bit of a some really interesting horse flesh. What about on your own? So you started there at Musselbrook, you had that one, you, you built the team up, you then obviously uh, moved to Scone. From this journey and obviously from, from training, starting training in your own right fairly on into your, you know, your horse industry career or life, if you want to call it that, um, to, to then win that country trainer of the year uh, last year, that, that must give you a lot of, a lot of pride, mate.
card. I'm great mates with Luke Rimbert, and um, he knocked up winning those trainer premierships. I could never, could never going to be able to beat him. But um, so, you know, it was, it was really good. It, you know, it was like point and him winning them. So um, couldn't be able to do it myself. Yeah. Mate, before, uh, well, I'll go. I'll touch on that now because you said you mentioned your daughter is working for you. Uh, is there a future for her? Do you think in in training, or does she want to be involved with it? And that must then fill you know your heart the fact that you know the story that you've come through with your family that now you know your daughter's working with you and you're having this success and and hopefully does she listen to the old man or does uh, is she like most <laughs> sons and daughters where we think that we know more than the parents? Um, she has her own opinion. <laughs> yeah, we no, all do. Yeah. We, uh, we... Look, you've got a, I value it as well. But, um, you know, every opinion it has to be Before we get to, you know, Kosciuszko this year and, and your thoughts on country racing uh, as a whole, uh, the best horse you've broken in, in your opinion? Oh, best one I've broken in. Um, gee, um, that's a bit of a hard one, actually. Um, well, it, sound, it sounds like you've been around some superstars, so you don't have to give us one. You can give us a couple and, <laughs> and, and, and maybe give us some that people out there... If they didn't already know um, this this wonderful story about you, just they'll go, "Wow, you know, you were involved in the the starting of that particular horse in, in history." Yeah, um, there's also really like called Schubert. He was a good horse. Um, then you've got horses like Like a Smile, Miss Margaret. Um, what else did we have there? We had Glastonbury there. Um, I'm just trying to think of the um, shot that was better ones. Um, Racing Edge was a ripper. He was, he was a really nice horse. Um, it was just such a quiet horse. Uh, it's covered there as well. Um, I didn't personally do him, but the team did him. Uh, we had a still a, a, a team of six of us breaking the 200 horses. Yeah. Was there one that, uh, and you hear this all the time um, when I've had conversations away from the show with you know, other people that break in horses where <laughs> you're breaking a horse and you think, well, Good luck with this one. We got it through, and then all of a sudden they go on and they're winning Group Ones and they're doing things. Is there any particular one that comes to mind that, that surprised you? Uh, actually, yes, yes. Uh, Paris Lane. We didn't, we didn't actually train him, but um, we had him. I broke him in at Lindsay Park, and um, I think the story was David suggested that he make a better three-year-old. Didn't want to run him at two, and he got taken, he got taken off by the owners and given to Lee Freeman. That's incredible. And just touching on what you were talking about before about getting into these horses' uh, minds, because, I mean, at the end of the day, you're 100% right what you say about animals in general. They're, 
they well they say that don't they that they you know they can pick up how you're feeling as humans and 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 stuff like that they've got that sort of sense um but when you have a horse that is a is a problem say a horse that can gallop gallop like farlap but the brain and the penny hasn't dropped i mean are you trying different things i mean you know obviously you want to give away trade secrets but uh, you know do you do you really jump in and try and uh, figure out exactly what's going on with those horses? Oh, definitely. If it's got ability, you want to be able to do the ones you want. Um, so you're better off um, spending a trot, spending time trying to um, get the horse with the ability to go good than, than the quiet one that can't go up to the truck. If you know what I mean. Um, yeah. They're the horses you really want to spend a bit of time on. Um, it was an interesting one. Um, I had a mare, Maya Mira. Um, who won a bell that's her, her her mother Sydney Sue, she won she won one in town. Um, she was probably the worst horse I've ever broken in. Um, not so much that she was an outlaw, um, but she just wouldn't canter. She would just smish her tail and it took me a long time to get up to get her the trot. I'd put her out, bring her back in, it would have taken me twelve months or to get this horse to actually work off and canter with somebody on her back. So I, I had a lot of sleepless nights. The only way I could figure out to do it was I got a um, quiet lead pony, and I got somebody on the lead pony. I said, just ride straight up a bum and start yelling and screaming. So they so just had to stay right behind her so she couldn't see. I'd keep her head straight, and that, that would scare her, and she'd tan her off. And after we did that for a month, so we taught her, taught her to, um, she sort of forgot about me being on her back, and then just cantering off. And, yeah, so she took a long time. She was, she was probably the hardest horse to work out mentally. I, I, I tried everything. But, um, yeah, so, but, yeah, but she came around and she was a good race horse and she produced a group three winner. So, um, Outstanding. That just shows, and, and yours wouldn't be the only story. There'd be trainers and other people that have been involved in this sort of aspect of the game that would have multiple stories like this. But I think it's great that we get to talk about it. Speaking before we go, uh, this Kosciuszko. You've got yeah. uh, this particular mayor, Spiranak, hoping to get in. I see all the social media activity tagging in Paige Spiranak, of course, who is the <laughs> the golfer slash um, commentator for that particular support. I suggest everyone jump on social media and give Paige a follow. Um, it's more like slash good type, don't you mean, Dave? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, tell me, you've got a, a group of young blokes that are involved in this horse. I was lucky enough to meet them on Tamworth Cup Day. They were on a Bucks party. Oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. They looked like they were really ready to rumble. Why do you think Spiranak deserves uh, her spot? In the Kosciuszko? Oh, I think on form. Um, she was very good when she won the um, the Tamworth the Tamworth heat, uh, which is always a strong heat. Um, she was quite dominant there. Uh, ran well in the final. Um, we did have a few little hiccups going into that final and tying up, but um, she still ran well. Ran first up uh, weekend before last. Uh, probably got away from me a little bit. Um, better for the run. Got off, and she just sort of knocked out the 
He certainly will. As I said, if you've got a slot out there, you're listening to this right now, not only have you heard a little bit about the trainer, and, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, you, you just have to jump on the socials, look at the horse, and uh, as I said, yeah, they're, they're, a, they're a good group of blokes. You'll have some fun, I'm tipping, when we come out of lockdown, if you if you do a deal with them. Rod Northam, it's been a pleasure talking to you today, mate. Uh, it's wonderful to hear a little bit about your story. We could have chatted for much, much longer, and I think it's fascinating, too, for people to hear uh, you know how you operate and how you you know um, train your horses and you're, you're thinking sort of outside the box and uh, you're a wonderful horseman, mate. Thanks for coming on. Uh, Dave, that's very kind.